Today is February 12, 2019, and you're listening to Life in General with Ron Tang. And so, I turned off my TV and smashed my radio, because I realized my heroes are the people I already know. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Um, I don't know where that's from. I, I, I don't remember where I got that quote, but uh, it's pretty cool. I remembered it. I put it down on my phone, and I was going to reuse it at some point, probably in a piece of writing, but I decided to just throw that quote out there for, like, no reason in the beginning of this podcast. Uh, did you guys get a chance to use the library genesis I gave you? If not, then it's all good. I'm going to repost the link so you guys can get a bunch of free books. I've downloaded maybe about 200 now, and it just stays on my iPad wherever I go. I read it at work. I can use it on the plane, when I'm sitting on the toilet, just just wherever. It's very it's very convenient. As, uh, as it turns out, the guest I had for this podcast, as some of you, very, very few of you may have noticed, I skipped one week because I did end up recording something with a friend and it was like it was just in deep conversation you know just as about mostly on on mental health but somehow we used his uh little task cam recorder and it got deleted because well there was a bunch of problems there was no battery and then you know at one point we forgot to press play turns out we recorded the whole thing in segments but it was literally one segment over the other so the the previous segments kept getting erased so i was like ah you know what forget it um, so I waited for another week and uh, I'm just here right now doing this one. But next week I will have somebody else on. And then in regards to that one, we'll just, we're just going to have to redo it. So I will be uh, flying out to Paris. This is uh, more or less the continuation from my UK trip last September. Due to the injury, remember, I came back early. So of course, a part of me couldn't let it go. So I, I rebooked it actually in October. I think I mentioned this before. So I will be flying out this month on the 25th and for a week. Well, actually nine days, right? One day is to get there and back. So nine days, but essentially I'm there for one week. Uh, speaking of which, everyone's been telling me. Sorry, let me adjust this fucking mic. Yeah, everyone's been telling me about the, the protests and how it's dangerous to go there at this time and I did think about it the way I see it is it's going to be a new adventure either way you know you just don't get into people's way you don't fuck around there's a lot of places where you can avoid these uh, yellow vest protesters and to be honest I kind of support what they're doing so I don't know how it came about but I read that you know they're just protesting against the one percenters that has to do with that tax hike for for gas but turns out like even though the president Mac Macron, Macaroon, or whatever, uh, did put his plans on hold. But then they continue to protest for inequality. Things such as like uh, the increase of salaries, pensions, social security payments, and minimum wage, which is which is brave because you know it takes a special kind of like a movement to get everyone out. Because I mean, let's face it: if one person does it here, they get the shit beat out of them, or they get arrested. They they'd be making an, an example of right, and then everybody else falls in line. It's exactly the same type of politics that happens in every workplace, right? Everybody wants to say something. It really just takes one crazy person, I guess, right, 
to really come out and get brave and everybody else to stand behind him. Although, you know, I think it depends like how much you have at stake. And I've always been told this. If you're in a workplace with say 50, 60 employees, co-workers and whatnot. Now, a lot of people that have family at home, they can't risk it, right? Those are the people that are more prone to falling in line way quicker as opposed to the person who's got nothing else to lose and is just there to support themselves. Like, fuck it. You know, I'm not taking this shit. I could do a lot better and this is what I deserve. This is what I need now to survive. But, you know, as soon as that guy gets canned, everybody else just whoop, back into the queue. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to avoid all the troubles over there. And the way I see it is it's going to be so, like, how often are you going to go to another country and you're going to see protests, right? It's going to be quite a sight, right? You're going to capture some pretty cool photography. I think, I think it'll be pretty cool. Actually, it's, I can't even say I've never seen this before. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Project Umbrella that was going on in Hong Kong, I believe, when I was there. What was it, 2014, 15? So there was another protest going on there in regards to political reform. I'm not going to pretend to know too much about this, but um, from what I know, <clears throat> it was actually since since Hong Kong was given back to uh, to China in 96, every year it's becoming more and more like integrated. I know mainland China is doing this in a very slow, gradual process. But now the, the People's Republic of China, um, the standing committee of the National People's Congress, they put restrictions on the nomination system and they're trying to change sort of the educational system. A lot of the students that were protesting actually from the, the whole country saying that the, they're afraid that the educational system is going to be too restrictive and too conservative, right? So there's different student groups um, from different federations that start pro, started protesting on the streets. And they called it Project Umbrella at the time because a lot of people were using umbrellas. And thankfully, um, that's all they were using. Well, I mean, some of them were throwing other things too and using weapons. But I think it was handled very well because when I was there... Um, you know, the police knew exactly like when to sort of, you know, raise their batons, like move forward, but, you know, not to hurt anyone. They knew when to pull back. They knew when to actually step up. So that resulted in about zero deaths, I believe. The This is the 13th consecutive week now that uh, the yellow vest protests are going on in, in France. And so far during the 13 week period, it's accumulated to about what, 10 deaths now. So I guess the, the Hong Kong class boycott campaign, you know, wasn't as hardcore, although, you know, anybody, I don't know if many people know this, but there's a lot of gangs running around Hong Kong, professional suit wearing that do pay a lot of the regular civilians, like, you know, a good amount of money. I mean, if you're in your teens or early 20s, and people are paying you thousands of dollars just to rally on the streets and cause a, a ruckus, that's a party to them, right? A lot of them are unemployed anyway. Uh, whatever happened to good old fashioned peaceful resolutions where people can learn to overthrow the government by using different methods, such as general strikes, uh, civil disobedience and sit-ins. Just like how in China they, they banned this uh, meditation uh, dharma practice called Falun Gong which is a very popular uh, way of uh, meditation. Uh, apparently, you can reach new heights with it. And the government was just, because, you know, it's a communist government, they were just afraid that people were going to use this type of, like, they thought at the time they misrepresented it purposely to say that's black magic. And so um, they tried to, they actually killed people or locked them up, whoever was practicing this sort of meditation. And apparently, it's very powerful and it opens up your third eye. Very interesting stuff. 
And you can also get to where you're going with that through psychedelics, which is, believe it or not, being researched now in North America for uh, medical use. In regards to that, a lot of things, even with pharmaceuticals, we are moving forward using old methods that were banned, but now things are reemerging. So people would use uh, small doses of LSD and mushrooms, uh, psilocybin capsules for things like addiction, um, people facing their mortality, depression, and I find it very interesting because it's something that I look forward to doing at some point in my life. Um, Just reading uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, I realized that psychedelics shouldn't be used at a very young age because you have not yet experienced enough. You haven't experienced life enough to to realize things when you're on psychedelics. Obviously, I don't know because I haven't tried it yet, but they say uh, like for for the professionals, you know, it's a very interesting book. It talks about the history of it and where it is today, why it's so prominent in Silicon Valley, because people have these like visions and premonitions and they see the other side. They say it's equivalent to the, 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 the stoned ape theory where they eat these mushrooms and then think of yourself as, as a caveman jumping to modern day New York City and then they go back after the trip and it's like impossible to even explain to, to the people around what skyscrapers and cell phones and airplanes are. So you get to see what's on the other side. And people actually come back, and it's a very hard feeling to describe, but they say, um, you know, I generally have a, a better sense of well-being. I don't fear my, my mortality as much. And I think when it, the time comes, I'm just I'm ready to go. Of course, it could be um, a very uncomfortable frontier since it, you know, it falls sort of in between science and spirituality. But it also digs into broad cultural history, you know, who's involved in this movement. And I think the best parts of the book are where Michael Pollan, he examines the ambiguous and um, the difficult concepts of consciousness, like your spirituality, ego, disillusion, um, you know, and then he also talks about his own psychedelic experiences. You'll have a better understanding of the science behind mental health and why things such as like uh, ECT, which is uh, electroconvulsive therapy, works sort of the same way, where it doesn't show which part of the brain it jump starts, but it says that it resets a certain part that makes depression and anxiety tick. Um, you know, a new generation of scientists testing like the potential. So it's pretty exciting stuff to me anyway. You know, of course, the direct source, or I mean, there's many sources, but I think the more effective and the original way is to go out to some Peruvian jungle to do it, you know, led by shamans. And um, it restores like a childlike immediacy, sense of wonder to our experience of reality, experiencing everything for the first time. Uh, when I was reading it, I just, I don't know how to explain it, but you know how when you're drunk or hungover all the time, you feel groggy, you feel like shit, things are dull. There's brain fog and headaches, but this is apparently just a small acid trip. It's complete opposite where you feel more vibrant. Everything's brighter. Everything's going to be all right. Get on the sunshine and the grass and everything just seems, color seems more more vibrant. Just the dissolution of one's ego may, may be the key to changing one's mind, I think. Um, but however, it's not the end-all be-all. I hear like most people that do psychedelics, um, if you're using it to cure depression, I hear that it does come back. It doesn't last very long. You know, it could cure you from it maybe for like one to six months, but eventually if you're prone to it or there's triggers, it, it does come back. So it's not it's not the end all be all. So while I was reading Michael Pollan, um, I decided to look deeper into it. So of course I Googled the people behind the new psychedelic movement and it led me to this other book, which I downloaded, of course, through through the library Genesis. And it's by Robert Lanz- Lanza called uh, Biocentrism. 
and it's about consciousness after death, and apparently it doesn't exist. And it's super interesting. Um, there's probably not enough time to get through all of it, but if death doesn't exist, then what happens, like, for example, when your dog dies, right? I'm going to read a little uh, part of this this book, um, especially the, the two-pager. I usually don't do this. I don't like to read stuff on my podcast. So this uh, this experiment was carried out by, like, scientists many years ago. A team of physicists physicists led by uh, this guy named Jean-Francois show that they could retroactively change something that that's already happened in the past. So it blew my mind at first because, um, okay, so you know that light is made up of tiny packets of energy called photons, right? This is like science, science 101, depending on how you look at them. But these photons can behave either like waves or indivisible bullet-like particles that produce a distinct signal when you look at it. So in the experiment in uh, Robert Lanza's book, Biocentrism, what they did was they got a beam splitter, which is just pretty much like a a mirror glass pane. There was no uh, visual, so I just pictured like a beam splitter I imagine would be like a, a glass pane that separates the beam, right? So what they did was they shot photons into the beam splitter that breaks the waves into two. Hold on, I'm going to read you this part. However, if the photons act like particle, it cannot be split and has gone one way or the other. Thus, the photons had to decide whether to behave like waves or particles when they hit the beam splitter. Later on, after the photons travel nearly 50 meters past this fork in the road, the experimenter could randomly turn a second beam splitter on or off. Amazingly, what the experimenter decided at the second fork determined what the particle actually did in the first fork In the past, in short, the experimenter in the lab had chosen his own past by making a decision in the future. If the laws of quantum mechanics are universal, then these experimental results would also apply to the ordinary world of people. So then even Einstein, whose theory of special relativity in general is accepted, um, it was concluded that the past is not what we think it is. Indeed, After the death of his best friend, Besso, an old friend, Einstein wrote, Now that he has departed from this strange world a little ahead of me, that signifies nothing. The distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. So apparently, um, also what it says is that everything you're experiencing right now is like a cloud of information in your head, like time and space. According to this book, is simply just to put our minds uh, just simply how our mind puts it all together, organizing into like the reality that we see every day. But they're just the language of consciousness. It doesn't really, not like objects or things like cups and pans, but your journey starts in the now. I, I don't understand all of it. When I'm done uh, how to change your mind, I will get into this. But I also stumbled upon this other guy named Thomas Campbell who actually worked for NASA. He has similar theories to this also. Um, it was, it was super interesting, and I actually discovered this guy many years ago. I added him to my social media. I follow him on Facebook. So he has three installments of this theory. It's called My Big Toe, My Big Theory of Everything. So the way he sees this, sees this as, uh, and he's obviously, he's not as well-known as Dr. Robert Lanza, but I think um, I liked Thomas Campbell's book a little more from what I've read from it anyway because he talks about reincarnation, like everything is in cycles, you know, whether it's nature, plants, animals, time, like, you know, night and day, sleep, everything is like in cycles. So is uh, your life. So when you pass on, you come back. And but from what I've read, it was it was just fucking mind blowing. 
He also talks about the matrix that we're living in, and he says that it is the reality is both virtual and subjective. And he agrees with other philosophers like um, like Hans Morevich, Brian Whitworth, Marcus Arvan, others who has like sort of the same hypothesis. You know, it's it's very interesting because the way he explains it, it's like you're in a video game. And, you know, once you die, you sort of like spawn somewhere else. And this guy actually used to work for NASA. He's a lecturer and a physicist, metaphysics, and he studies uh, the origins of consciousness. So super interesting. I would suggest, you know, if you are someone like me who has suffered through existential crisis, um, anxiety and panic attacks in the past, well, look at me opening up to you guys like this now. Um, if you are like me and you've suffered through things like this, and this is not stuff I've even told my parents, and here I am, you know, letting it all out on a podcast. In my early 20s, I remember there was a period where I would wake up in the middle of the night, you know, for, for, I couldn't, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out why. I, I just started fearing death, and I had anxiety, and I had panic attacks, and I would be out. And, you know, if, if you are someone that could relate to this, feel free to give me a shout or reach out to me, you know, because I'm still trying to figure this thing out. And I would be out, you know, having fun. And then this, I would have this impending doom come over me. And I, I couldn't explain what it is at the time. And I still can't. And I just, it would just stop me from having fun, right? And sometimes when I'm alone, it'll just, it'll just hit me like the anxiety. It's like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. One day it's going to happen and it's coming and it's coming. There's nothing I can do about it. Crisis, it, it took me therapy to sort of get over it. You sort of just find distractions, but you know that day is coming. So, you know, it, it has hit me in, in a hard way. And I think about what comes afterwards and what is consciousness. So what I did when I was 23 was, you know, I started reading the Quran. I don't know why, but I, I looked into Allah. I started studying the Bible. I started reading about Christianity again, although I never paid attention to it growing up. Family is Roman Catholic. I went to Sunday school, but, you know, I never paid much attention to it, right? I just sort of went to Sunday school because it, it made my mother happy. I was just at that age. And apparently what I have is an uncommon after I do all my uh, Google researches. And I always had this fear, like, what if it's just an eternal black darkness in your conscious during the whole time? That's, that's literal hell, isn't it? And that sends me into like this deep panic attack. And I just, I don't know, I just went through the rough phase. Like I was fucked up. And I thought to myself, like, what is it? Is it just a general lack of direction in my life? Do I just need to reevaluate the things I'm doing? You know, because I generally know what I want and what I want to do. Do I need religion? What is it? Like, do I need, um, do I need to be closer? Do I need to start putting it out there that to do to do better things for everybody around me? I couldn't figure out why I was breaking down like this, and it was just it was just tough. So you know, you start doing other activities. You try to find solace through like charity and and charity work and self help activities like going to the gym, meditation, reading, uh, you know, cooking, and just to see if you can put your mind at ease. And I refuse to go on meds because you know, I hear it just changes your brain chemistry completely. It turns you into a zombie and then prone to depression afterwards. Like it, it always comes back. So I was like, nah, fuck that. I remember walking out of therapy saying, I'm not, I'm not going on meds, man. Like we can talk all day, but I'm not, I'm not taking any pills, you know? And then I got into uh, Buddhism, which I resonate with the most. There's not a specific set of gods that you're supposed to worship on a daily basis. I really enjoy the philosophy of it. And I do enjoy the principles and the morality set, although it's, it's all relative. You know, don't be a dick. 
pretty much. But um, this is, I'm a half-assed Buddhist, you know, because I haven't completely changed my diet to like a Buddhist yet. Everything else in regards to this religion, if you will, it gives me a sense of comfort. Buddhism, I don't know what it is, but once I go into the temple, the environment and the surroundings and the meditations and the lighting of the incense, I don't know why. It's just maybe something I should stick with because it gives me a real sense of comfort. It puts me at ease. Anyways, guys, this is enough for today. In the new future, I will have longer podcasts as soon as I get other things running, like a new mic, guests actually coming on. Uh, but for now, this will have to do. 20 minutes is up, and I, my friends have put in their inputs, saying that sometimes 20 minutes for them is too short since they do enjoy the podcast. Thank you guys for the support. I believe this is episode 22 now, and uh, yeah, this concludes this episode, and I'll talk to you guys later.